0: So, I want you to know that we're continuing on in our idea about real stuff. We're talking about parables. We're talking about all these things that, uh, real things that Jesus taught about. He taught about real ideas that we could wrap our mind around so that we could understand some spiritual lessons. And and we talked about each week, we pointed out how um, even though sometimes we thought parables were to make it easier to understand, it's actually sometimes Jesus wanted us to dig deeper and he wanted people who were really searching. You know, Jesus would do some crazy things. After he fed the 5,000, you know, that all these people were gathered around. And who doesn't like a free meal, right? Everybody, everybody likes free meal. We even like we like food, period. Did y'all ever go wait in the line around Popeye's? Anybody do that? All right, if you did, did you get in a fight? You know, one of the people fighting in the lines around Popeye's, around the chickens, so did you got to fight, JT? He's eating a chicken sandwich right now. He's a fucking lady. I'm just kidding. I'm not eating. But uh, he's eating something. But we like food, and Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, imagine the crowd that drew. Now, we say the 5,000, that was 5,000 men. History and tradition teaches us that probably there were somewhere around maybe 15,000, to 15,000 people that Jesus miraculously fed. And so, of course, he had a great following at that point. A lot of people wanted to follow him. So you know what he does? He does what's completely counterintuitive, crazy to do in our world and our society, especially in the church world. He turns around and he sees this big crowd and he says, hey, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And they're like, what? And from that point, a lot of people were not willing to follow him. Jesus wants people who are all in. Last week, I wore my all-in t-shirt, which is what we talk about from time to time at Movement Church. We want to be all in for the gospel sold out for the gospel, and that's what Jesus wants, because it's literally what we're doing is life and death, am I right? It's spiritual life and death, and if we as followers of Jesus are all in, then we're not going to make an impact the way God's called to make an impact. I want to ask you this question, all right? In case you tuned out, nudge your neighbor, I know you're supposed to be social distancing, so you may have to pick up a rock or something like that, but <laughs> here's what I want to do. I want to ask you this question, all right? Have you ever been done wrong? ones who don't have your hand up are just lying, I believe. Because if you're breathing, I'm thinking there's probably a time that you've been done wrong. Um, I, I tell this story a lot, but I cannot help but do it. Um my anniversary is coming up this coming uh, Wednesday, I believe, August 5th, and I believe we actually have an anniversary here in the in the audience today. Sam and Lady, it's their an anniversary day. Woo! Um, how many years? Six. Six. Good thing I didn't have Sam been in trouble writing the She's the one who doesn't remember. Okay. I write, really. it okay. write it down. She has it Sam is the one who's got it under control. Okay. Yeah. All right, six years. So this Wednesday will be our anniversary. Get ready for this. Twenty years. Man, I'm excited about that. I've never done anything for twenty years other than live. That's all I've done. You know, that's the only thing I've done for twenty years. I'm so excited. Um I know that makes me older but I that's one of the milestones i've been looking forward to so i can see i've been married 20 years and i'm excited about it but uh, most of y'all have heard my story and sherry's story about how we got together and how you know 22 years ago roughly uh on my birthday coming up october 7th i just dropped that date you know y'all have, like you didn't hear that size 12 shoot. um anyway um, But on my birthday, we were dating, right? Just started dating. Been a few months in, but I knew. I was like, man, there's something special about this girl. We go out for this date. We get into this disagreement. And you might finish the story for me. You've heard it. She dumps me on my birthday. She dumps me on my birthday. Yeah. And so I asked you if you've been done wrong. I want you to understand I can relate. And we did this whole thing for, you know... A year or so we finally get back together start dating we date for almost a year again and then like a good christian guy i thought the best way i can get even with my my girlfriend is to propose to her on my birthday the anniversary two years later when she dumped me two years before right isn't that that good so it's like this i got ready to say good spitefulness but if you ask her it's probably not necessarily good spitefulness but anyway she's trapped with me so that's the biggest revenge she's got me here 20 years later stuck right so that's something to be proud of but the reason i ask you that is because if you've ever held a grudge a few hands going up some people will some people don't keep grudges but i guarantee you there's probably some little grudge that you've kept there's some little bit of uh bitterness or just a little bit of hard feelings you kept towards somebody and maybe for some of you maybe you struggle with keeping grudges and holding grudges i don't really keep grudges or hold grudges that much that was probably one of the best examples that i got even by, like i said by proposing and she's got this life sentence now, so you can, you know, pray for her. Um, but anyway, but here's the thing. Every time in your life when somebody does you wrong, you've got an opportunity. You've got this temptation. You've got this moment to decide. All right, so, so imagine somebody lies about you. You get angry. You get hurt. You find out there's this rumor spreading about you. People are talking about you, spreading these things, and you don't know who's believing it and who's not. And so you pick up this weight now you know let's say it's back when you're in high school and we know it hurts we know it hurts when it happens sometimes some of you were lied about in horrible ways in high school but a lot of us you know it was just little things and now we don't even remember what the lie was but we remember the weight we remember the pain right so you pick up that weight and you hold that grudge and you're holding on to it sometimes you don't even remember who it's who you're mad at you just know you're bad sometimes you don't remember uh, exactly what it was about, you just know you're mad. Sometimes you remember who it was, sometimes you remember what it was, when it was, how you felt then, because you still feel the same way now, and you hold that weight. And then maybe somebody breaks your heart, and you hold a grudge. you pick up another weight. It might be big, it might be small, but you pick up that other weight. And then somebody comes along, and maybe they have the life that you think you should have. Had. It wasn't really anything done to you, but you kind of take it personal, and and you pick up another weight and you hold another grudge. Maybe somebody comes along and actually wounds you so deeply and so hurtfully that you wonder if you'll never heal and you pick up another weight. So a lot of times we carry grudges and we carry weights on us Sometimes they were completely horrible things done to us. Sometimes it's just ways that we feel slighted. But regardless, we carry these weights and these burdens, and we try to carry them around and balance them around. And it's like a lot of times we're living a life kind of with a broken hand trying to hold on to some weights. It doesn't work too well, does it? You know, we get bound up and we get tied up and we get stopped up and slowed down. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus addressed what to do when a brother, or for that matter, a sister, Sins against you. We talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we talked about this recently. And we talked about the fact that what happens is sometimes we got to point out sin. We don't want to go around being the judges of everybody, but if we care about people, we got to point out sin. And so in Matthew 18, that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching about this, and he points out the sin that somebody's struggling with. And Peter, being Peter, Peter being Peter, he comes up and he's like, hey, guys, watch this. Peter was a good dude. He was a really good dude. He was always the first one to speak up, sometimes to a fault, right? You know, open up mouth, insert foot. He was that kind of guy. But sometimes he got it really right. And this one time, after Jesus teaching about forgiving and trying to restore brothers and sisters and, you know, pointing out what's going on in their lives to help bring restoration, Peter says, okay, here's what's going on. I'm going to go up and I'm going to go and I'm going to impress everybody. I'm going to show Jesus how much I've been listening. And I'm going to show all my friends, these people who just say, oh, man, you're just a fisherman who doesn't know anything. I'm going to go and show them exactly what I know. And so he goes up and he says, hey, Jesus, <clears throat> looks around, makes sure everybody's attention's on him. And he says, how many times should we forgive somebody who hurts us? Now, the rabbinic law has a tradition. This wasn't God's law. This was man-made law. We talked about that a little bit over the past couple weeks. The rabbinic law that the rabbis made up was they said three times is how many times you should forgive somebody who's continued to sin against you. So strike one, strike two, strike three, right? That was how many times you had to forgive. So here's what Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. You know, so he's got in his brain, he's got in his brain, you're supposed to do three. So what does he do? I'm going to double it plus one, right? So he comes up. How many times should I forgive people? Get ready for this, y'all. Seven times because I are holy. You know, that's kind of what he's saying, all right? Y'all don't find this as funny as I do. <laughs> I feel offended by you. He goes up and he wants this attention. He wants to seem holy. He wants to seem like a guy who's got it all together. And he says, how many times should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? And here's what Jesus says to him. I do not say to you seven times, but I say 77 times. Now there's some old ancient manuscript, and we've talked a little bit about a little bit about that over the past few weeks, about how, you know, they found different manuscripts at different times. There's one older manuscript or a couple of older manuscripts that talk about 70 times. Seven. But most people feel like it's pretty truthful to say the seventy-seven times. Regardless, what he does was take Peter's exaggeration of the law, or the uh, the principle, and then he multiplies that times eleven. He says seventy-seven times. Now, do you think Jesus is saying, okay, seventy-seven times you need to forgive this person who hurt you. But then on number seventy-eight, old oh, buddy, hold up, you punch him right in the mouth. Is that what you think of what he's saying? No, he's saying, take what you think is reasonable, and then just blow it out of the water. Forgive, 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 forgive. And I'll be honest, we can nod our head and say, oh, that sounds good, God is so good right now, but when you're the one getting stabbed in the back 76 times, and some of you guys have been through that, right? When you're the one that's been hurt over and over and over again, it does not seem reasonable, it does not seem good, it does not seem holy to want to forgive 77 times or 78 times. He goes on in verse 23. And Jesus explains a little deeper. Verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 sounds like a lot, right? I mean, that's 10,000 of anything is a lot of that thing. But here's what the, the math really works out to. A talent was roughly twenty thousand Years salary. One town was twenty years salary. All right, I did a little research. I used Google. Uh, The median U.S. income right now is somewhere around sixty-one thousand dollars. Actually, rounded down, a little bit higher than that, according to what I found. Sixty-one thousand dollars is the median U.S. income. If you multiply that uh, times twenty, that comes out to one million two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. All right, but what am I leaving out here? 10,000 of those. So 10,000 times 1,220, those are actually numbers that I don't want to think about. I put them into the calculator on my phone. I I even put it in the Google search bar and it's like, go away It's basically what it said. I mean, it it just used exponents and all that sort of stuff. And it was uh, all these numbers to like the 10th power. It's numbers that you and I cannot even fathom that this man owed to the king. He could not get himself out of debt, and and that's just mind-blowing to me. Um, Just to give you an example um, of a a debt that sometimes seems big, Um, like I said, we're getting ready to celebrate 20th anniversary. At the end of the week, on the 7th, uh, my son Josiah will be 10 years old, and that's something pretty cool. And I want to tell you a little bit of a secret. It's not a secret to him, so you can tell him. Um, We're still paying for Josiah. We are. We're paying for Josiah. When he was born, we didn't expect. This is the funny part. We didn't expect to have another kid, and then we had Josiah, and most of y'all know that we also have Andrew now, so somebody can set me down and explain this to me later on in life. But we didn't have insurance, so we paid straight cash for Josiah, and we get out there, and uh, a few weeks after, we reach out to the hospital, and they send us all these bills, and you know, they're massive bills. And we say, hey, if we pay a little bit, uh, if we just pay right now, we can discount it a little bit. You know, just mark it down a little bit and we'll pay for it flat out. And they said, nope, no discount. And but then the lady, secret low on the phone, I won't say her name so she doesn't get in trouble. She said, just so you know, if you pay like a dollar a month, they'll never do anything. There's no interest. And we're like, all right, cool. And so we pay a little, we pay like 50 bucks a month. And But we use it to kind of threaten Josiah. We're like, if you ever start diagnosing, they're like, man, they can repo you any minute. But. <laughs> so I have said that to you. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing is, sometimes there are these huge debts that are just hanging over your head. And this was a debt that he could not pay. He could never think of paying. Verse 25 says this. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. But that was just a drop in the bucket. It was more of just a punishment than it was a repayment. And the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. We see a great example in this story of that N-word that we use in the church time to time, mercy. Mercy is making sure that someone doesn't suffer a punishment that they deserve. Now, by all works of the law, this guy deserved to be sold and have everything sold so that he could pay his debt. But this king gave him mercy and did not punish him. And you and I need to understand that oftentimes, you know, that's exactly what God does for us any day and every day. And the king declared him not guilty. He's like, you don't owe a debt. You don't owe anything. He wipes it away. And everything should be good, right? But if you know the story, you know what happens next. to say. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe me. All right, I did the math on this as well. A denarius was like one day's wage for a working person. All right, so I did the math based on the whole 61,000. I know some people make more, some people make less. But I did the the, uh, the math on that. And that works out to 100 denarii. It works out to about twenty. Thousand four hundred dollars so a lot of money, a lot of money, you know, I'd be tempted to try to show somebody, I'm kidding, i do that, um, y'all got scared by that, y'all were laughing at that, but $23,400, I would be so upset if somebody owed me that money, but this guy had just been forgiven, what? millions and millions and billions of dollars. This guy has been forgiven. He's and literally in Jesus story. He walks out and he strangles a guy who owes him pennies on the dollar. Pennies on the dollar. Now, you may think, well this is a made up story, right? This is a made up story. But is it really that far off from the perspective that Jesus is trying to teach us? You know, spiritually, we've been forgiven what? Billions and trillions of dollars worth of debt. Our sin is so great, we can never pay it off. But yet, when people sin against us, what do we turn to do? We kind of want to put our hands around their neck, whether it be figuratively or literally sometimes. And we want them to pay, and we want them to suffer, and we want them in no pain. And they need to make it right. But that's not what the king, that's not what Jesus did for us. Verse 29 says, So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. I kind of wonder, even though this is a story that Jesus out to this point, I kind of wonder if maybe in this story the guy wasn't put in the same cell that he was supposed to go in. You know, that's what we do a lot of times. Sometimes we feel so guilty out of our own debt, even though he knew he was forgiven, he still was like, man, that's a lot of money I got myself in trouble over, and that's a lot of uh, bad stuff that could've happened to my family, look what I did. So he still feels guilty, even though he's been forgiven. And so what does he do? The first thing he does is he wants somebody else to feel some pain because he feels pain, still maybe. Maybe I'm just, I'm just philosophizing a little bit, but I know what my life is like, and I know what I struggle with, and maybe what you struggle with. So there's a few quick things I think we can learn from this. Number one is this. How quickly we forget mercy that is shown to us. You know what I'm saying? How quickly we forget mercy that is shown to us. If you're a Christian, if you've been baptized into Jesus, you trust Jesus with your life, then you are forgiven and free. But how often do you want to hold people to the fire and make them pay the debts that they owe? We've all been guilty of it. We've all carried that burden and then we place that burden on somebody else's shoulders. And we just cannot forgive them even though we've just been forgiven, and we continue to be forgiven. The second thing is this. We're less willing to forgive smaller debts when we've been forgiven of so much more, right? Now, I'm not making light. I want you to hear me right here and right now. I'm not making light of what you've suffered through. I don't know what all of you have suffered through. And some of you have suffered through things that I cannot even begin to fathom. But when you compare it to everything that Jesus went to the cross for, He went to the cross for all the sins that were committed against you. Even the deepest, darkest ones. He went to the cross for all the sins that were committed against you, the little small ones. He went to the cross for all the sins that you committed against other people that you deserve punishment for. He went to death on the cross and was put to death on the cross for all the sins of the entire world, every single person. He went to was put to death on the cross for the sins of the, the holocaust and, and all the different things that have taken place in our world that are horrible and despicable and Jesus suffered for all those things and forgave them all If people will accept that forgiveness but yet we will not turn and forgive our brothers and sisters in small things comparatively speaking and then the last thing is this unforgiveness feels like power when it's really weak That's something that we need to wrap our minds around. Unforgiveness feels like power when it's really weakness. Because let's be real, why do we not want to forgive people? Because we feel like it does what? It gives us some power over them. We feel like I'm not going to be a victim anymore so at least I can hate you. At least I can look for an opportunity to get revenge on you. At least I can do something to at least be joyful when your life falls apart and when things go bad your life, and we feel like that's power, but you know what, every time we do that, we've got these weights, and we're stacking these weights up, and these, these burdens up, and they're like bricks, and we're piling them up, and we're building this wall, and we think we're building a prison around the person that we cannot forgive, but all the while, when we get done, we stand up, we wipe our hands off, and we build walls around ourselves, and we still got burdens on our shoulders, we still got weights in our hands, we can't be effective and productive, and we're carrying these burdens, and we're hurting ourselves, we're not even... A lot of times, the people that we're angry at—they don't even know that we're angry. In some cases, and they're definitely not feeling the hatred from us. They sometimes don't even think about it. So, how crazy is it when we hold on to unforgiveness? And here's something we gotta realize: that we're ever gonna heal from it. Unforgiveness comes from a fear that God won't act justly and make things right. That's really where it boils down to. That's really where it comes from. Unforgiveness, the unwillingness to forgive, comes from a fear that Jesus won't make it right and that things will never be just. And that's a difficult topic for what we've talked about. Our our world's going through. We want justice, and we know ultimately the only justice there's ever truly, truly, truly going to be is when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And we've got to learn to trust. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for justice on this earth. I believe we should, but we have to understand that things won't be truly just until Jesus comes back and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's when all things will be made new and all things will be made right. So if you want to embrace forgiveness and let go of unforgiveness and carry your burdens around, one of the things you have to do is tell yourself and talk to God. Say, God, help me to trust that you will make things right. And then do one of the greatest moves that you can do to get revenge. (laughs) Forgive. And I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but also sort of serious. One of the greatest things you can do, and it's almost an act of revenge, is to pour cold water on somebody's head by forgiving and being kind and Christ-like to them, even when they've done you wrong. And I've seen time after time, and you guys have too, about stories about people that have been redeemed, in people's lives and people's lives and relationships that have been restored because somebody chose to be Christ-like and forgive even when it didn't make sense. And those relationships were changed and lives were turned around. In verse 31, we go back to the text. It says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, that they had thrown the guy in prison. They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Imagine with me a little bit that maybe the guy that he put his hands around his neck and threw in the prison was in the cell that he was supposed to be in. Also imagine with me in this story, if it was a, a, a really cool story, where do you think he ended up? In the same what? Same cell. You Imagine he ended up in the same cell. But the problem is, he, the guy that he hated, he could pay off his debt. It was, it was big, but it wasn't completely unreasonable. So can you imagine if this was a real story? Now, you see where I'm going with this? This is a real story. He's locked up in chains. Beside the guy that he threw into prison, and a few years later, the guy that he had put in prison does what? Walks out and waved goodbye. And what is he doing? He's still there hanging up in chains. And that's what we do. When we don't forgive people, we may put them in a prison for a little while. Chances are we do it to ourselves. And then we suffer, and we carry this burden, not just spiritually, but for everyone we carry this burden and we're locked up, Well, they may even be set free. They may receive forgiveness, they may receive restoration, but yet there we are still suffering. And I want to share this with you. Mercy and grace are the pulse of the kingdom of God. Mercy and grace. Mercy is sparing someone from something that they deserve to suffer. Grace is giving them something they do not deserve. But mercy and grace are the pulse of the kingdom of God. And if you and I claim to be in the kingdom of God and we don't have a pulse, it's time to look at ourselves. If we don't have the pulse of mercy and grace coursing through our body, we need to look at ourselves. Are we even alive if we're not able to show mercy and grace? Now, I know it's not going to be something you can do overnight, but are we growing in our ability to show mercy and grace? Because Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, to whom much is given much is expected. And I want you to know if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to know as you sit here today that you have received more mercy and grace than you can ever out-sin. If you're a Christian, you have received more mercy and grace than you can ever out-sin. You can't sin enough to outrun the grace of God. It's greater than anything you can do. And you can be forgiven and free if you're in the arms of Jesus. You can be whole and new and you can be right and made clean. And you have been given so much So because of that much is expected. Sometimes sometimes you put those grudges down. You know, they get they get burdensome and you realize, man, I'm carrying this grudge. But then somebody comes along and they hurt you in a similar way. What do you do? You pick it back up. But then that same person that hurt you, you know, you thought maybe you were over it and then they say something to kinda smart out to you you're like oh man you pick that burden back up and then another burden you pick them back up so we put them down and we we shift them and sometimes you know even though i was shoveling and and moving these things i kind of got used to it right over the last few minutes i almost didn't feel like i had them in my hands but then when i kind of come to my senses i realize i'm still carrying these burdens and i can't do everything i want to do i mean y'all know how i move my hands sometimes like landing an airplane and i'm struggling right you know I, i have a hard time and then i realize i'm still carrying these burdens and these These burdens would not allow me to do life the way I want to do it, right? And and that's the way we are when we carry these burdens. We put them down, but we pick them back up. And you get used to carrying them. But you walk different, right? You walk different when you carry these burdens and you don't put them up. You may think you get used to it, but you walk different. So here's the real problem with unforgiveness. You're holding all these burdens. can't hold on to Jesus, can you? Your hands are too full. My hands are too full to give any of you guys a hug, a real hug. I know we're not supposed to hug right now, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) My hands are too full to to hold my hands out and surrender. I'm, I'm not able to do all the things I want to. I've got all these issues going on, and I cannot But once I realize that I can be free and I can be forgiven, I put these burdens down, I drop them, and then what can I do? I can surrender to Jesus. I I can hug and hold on to Jesus. I can love on you and I can serve you and I can do things for you. And my walk is changed and I'm able to be what God has called me to be, forgiven and free. As I wrap up this morning, we get ready to do our time of communion. I want to share this quote with you that I just recently saw and I thought it was pretty powerful. Don't let someone who didn't die for you affect how you worship someone who did. Don't let someone who didn't die for you affect how you worship someone who did. Most of the time when we hold on to unforgiveness, All we're doing is putting ourselves in a prison. And we're making ourselves unaffected and not able to love Jesus and not able to love other people. So what burdens do you need to lay down today? The beauty of all of it is that you can be completely forgiven and free. If you're outside of Christ today, we'd love to talk with you about what that means. But the the simplified version is if you say, I know that Jesus is is the answer, then you can come to Him. You can turn away from your life and sin. That doesn't mean you get your life perfect. That just means walk away from sin, you walk towards Jesus. And the Bible talks about ways that you can do that. It talks about the faith that you have in him, that he is the only one that can do it. That you meet him in faith at baptism where he does all the work. He washes away your sin. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He makes you clean not because you earned it, not because you worked for it, but because he is good and his grace is enough. And you can be free and made whole. But then every day thereon after you have to do things like put down those burdens and take off those weights and forgive and try to ask and seek for the people that you've hurt and that you've offended. But you can be that today. You can be free and forgiven today. But also for those of us that have already taken those steps and that we're trying to walk in Christ, but we're carrying these burdens. It's time to stop walking differently and bring yourself up to have hands and arms and feet that can serve and love and move in Jesus' name. And one of the beautiful things about look at the bread that represents the body of Jesus, we look at the juice that represents uh, the blood of Jesus, and it reminds us that Jesus paid it all. He paid for every sin, every shame, the ones done to you and the ones you did to others. And it has all been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. You are free indeed in Christ. And then what that man or that woman did to you... Five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, what your husband or wife or your co-worker did yesterday, is all gone. It's paid for by the blood of the Lamb, and it has no power over you. And then in being free, you can help other people be set free. Because your hands are free to love, to serve, and to move into your soul. Take a few moments. Talk to God and take communion as you're ready. And then join us in singing.